Hello, church, and welcome to the Apostles Mailbox podcast. Uh, We're here for episode two, and we're already going to start something new. Uh, That's right. The hope with this show is to do uh, two different tacks of study. One will be addresses towards the church at large, um, more topical in nature, if you will. And then we'll also be working our way uh, sort of systematically through Scripture together. And I'm going to begin with the book of John. It could take us a long time to get through it. I don't know how long, but we're going to take it a little bit at a time. And there's a couple reasons for this. Uh, one is that uh, it's it's healthy, of course, to address uh, pressing and current issues, uh, to ask God what his thoughts are on things that we're wrestling with or things that are important, and to address those. Uh, but it's also important for us as believers to have this sort of Um, unplanned, if you will, inflow of ideas towards us. Uh, When you study through Scripture systematically from start to finish in one of the books of the Bible, you end up confronted with ideas that you might not think to ask about, uh, that you might not understand um, from the outset, and you'll get answers to questions that you haven't even asked or thought to ask. And so we're going to work our way through the book of John. We're going to do it in a bit of a Uh, hopefully uh, a fresh way uh, for you. So um, let's begin then. We're we're going to be talking today uh, about uh, the one toward God. Uh, And I'll explain what I mean by that in a little bit. Um, And so we'll probably only get through the first two verses uh, today, uh, but we're going to get started by reading. And I'm probably going to read the first half or so of Uh, the first chapter of John. So John writes, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're going to pause right there, uh, because there's a, there's a ton here, of course, and we're going to get into much. Uh, and I wouldn't have even, we're not even going to talk about that much today, except it's very unhealthy when you only take one verse or two verses of Scripture, and you focus all your attention on that, and you don't pay attention uh, to what's going on in the greater context. Uh, so in, in the course of study uh, for, for today's uh, lesson, if you will, uh, I, I spent a lot of time reading far past just John 1 and 2, but that's all we're going to have time to talk about uh, today. So, um, to get started, I, I, wanted, I want to um, draw your attention to a um, a couple significant issues, perhaps, uh, that come up when we read Scripture. And one is that we are moderns. 
Uh, we see the world in a certain way. We have all of these ideas in the back of our heads. We have these thoughts about the way the world works and the way the world ought to work. And those ideas are they're sort of conditioned by the families we grew up in and the culture we live in, the TV shows we watch, the, the music we listen to. All kinds of things sort of play into what we think is normal or obvious or right. Um, and, and hopefully you will understand that when John wrote this letter or this account of the good news of Jesus Christ, he wrote it uh, almost 2,000 years ago, his idea of what was normal and right and expected of life would probably be very different from yours and mine. And so it's, it's hard for us to have an objective, I think, take on some of this scripture because we don't even speak the same language that John would have been writing in. He wrote this letter or this um, account in Greek, and uh, we, don't we don't speak Greek, and so we have to have people translate from that Greek into the English for us. Um, and they do a, uh, they do a very good job, but you, whenever you do translation, it's, it's hard not to lose, lose nuance. And, uh, and the translator has to ask questions about what did this person mean when he said this? You can't just copy word from word, you know, um, from one language into the next. You have to capture ideas and, and the tone of something and the sense of it. And it's very difficult work. In fact, it's been said, uh, not in English, but in Italian, I think, first, um, translation is treason. That's to translate somebody's words is in some ways to commit treason against them. And you may you may understand how this works if you've ever played that game telephone, right? Where one person says something to the next person and the next person, they hear a message, uh, but they don't always understand it. They don't uh, perhaps capture it fully. And so they, they say it to the next person, they say it to the next person, and everybody there is trying faithfully to, to repeat what they've heard. But because they hear things weird or they understand them weird, little changes get introduced, sometimes big changes get introduced, and by the time you get to the end of the circle, uh, the message that was supposedly begun uh, is, is often uh, distorted beyond recognition. And it's not quite that bad with Scripture, and yet there are ways in which uh, we have some of those difficulties where uh, the translator maybe had some idea of what he thought that John meant when he wrote certain things in Greek, um, but because the translator didn't live there 2,000 years ago and speak Greek fluently as, you know, growing up in it, perhaps he has a, a mistaken understanding. Um, and even more so than that, there's also, uh, in the course of our study, we're going to find places where we're, we're going to talk about some some places where you, you have maybe, you have thousands of different copies of the Greek manuscripts that have been copied by hand over the years, and, and in some of those manuscripts, they're different. Some of them might have one word, some of them might have another word, uh, because somebody made a mistake when they were copying. And then later scholars have to try to figure out, and they have good tools for this, but they have to try to figure out who made the mistake and what was the original word or phrase that was there. And, and the, the decisions they make will then, of course, affect their translation. And so uh, we're going to do some work in the text a little bit like that. We'll get to nothing big on that today. Um, but it is going to come up in the future, and so we'll talk about that when we get there. At any rate, our goal is uh, to try to understand as, as well as possible 
what John wrote, what he intended for us to hear and understand as we read this account of uh, the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we get to the very end of the book, and you can look it up in John chapter 20 if you want, if we, when we get to the very end, uh, you'll, you, you can, John will tell you sort of why he wrote the book. Um, but I'm not going to spoil that because that's not where he started. So if you want to look ahead, you can at the end of the book. But um, otherwise, we're just going to start here. So in John 1, uh, we have this, this statement where John says, In the beginning was the Word. And so the first question we have to answer then is, what is the Word? And, and I, I apologize, we're going to have to talk about some Greek today. It's not because you need to know Greek, but because there's, I think, some significance in the words that John uses, and they're at the center of a lot of debate um, among scholars uh, as well, and, and among Christians, and so we're gonna. It's gonna come up, but the point is not that you would learn, uh, know to learn Greek, but that just just that you would recognize that some of these same terms are gonna come up again and again. So uh, we start with this question of what is the word? In the beginning was the word, and in Greek that word is logos. You you may have heard this before if you've been around church for too long, but basically the meaning of that word. Logos is an utterance, like something someone says out loud, or it's it's a communication. It's an idea that has uh, been taken out of somebody's mind and expressed to somebody else. It could also have to do with a matter, um, an idea. It could have to do with reason. Uh, this word, like in English, sometimes we use one word to mean many different things. Well, the word logos is the same. But at the heart, there is this sense of like an idea or a plan or a matter uh, or a communication. And, um, and John is going to be discussing the Logos. Now, unfortunately, at this point already, uh, you may have some ideas in your head of what the Logos is. Maybe you're already thinking like, oh, I know what that is. That's Jesus. Let's not get there quite yet, okay? The word logos is, uh, John hasn't explained yet, and the people who are reading this uh, don't know what he's saying yet, and so we're just going to follow along with him, okay? Now, some people say, well, when 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 John's audience heard this, they would have known that the, the Stoics, the, the Greek Stoics had these uh, ideas about logos and as some sort of concept from which the world was born or created and um, and other people might have might have had these other ideas about what logos meant and there's a lot of debate among people over what John's audience would have known uh, but I want to point out something to you here uh, that should help us and that is the the idea that to the Jews the word of the Lord shows up a lot in God's actions in the Old Testament and in his communication to people. Um, and in fact, you found, if you are familiar with the Genesis account, in Genesis 1, we have God speaking the world into existence. And so if you have this idea of God speaking the world into the existence in the beginning, um, then you probably will find a link here, right? It seems to me that if John is writing to people who are uh, familiar um, with the 
with the Hebrew Old Testament, or not the Hebrew Old Testament, the the Old Testament, which I'll explain in a second here. Um, their their Old Testament, their scriptures. They, they didn't have the New Testament, of course, when John was writing this. Their scriptures started with "in the beginning," and John, when he's going to tell us about Jesus, he starts in the beginning, right? And in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to see creation show up or early on in John chapter 1, right? And then the way that that's explained is God said, for instance, let there be light, and there was light. So God is speaking the world into existence. And so you have these ideas of speech and of the beginning together and of creation. And in the first section of John 1, you see those same ideas. You have, you have the beginning, you have uh, the word, and you have creation. Okay, and so we're as we're gonna look at these here, um, you'll see these ideas coming up again and again. So when John begins this book with "in the beginning," I think it brings our attention back to the Old Testament. It it doesn't bring us to the idea of Greek philosophy, right? So although there were some interesting usages of the word logos in that time, uh, our attention should go back to the same way that the Old Testament began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John says, in the beginning was the word. Now again, I'm going to caution you don't run ahead to thinking of a human being, right? One of the dangers of us, if you've been around church long enough, you've read your Bible long enough, is that you know that in, in John 1.14, that, that, that John is going to say, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And you're going to say, oh, I know, I know, that's Jesus. I've got it all figured out. And the danger, of course, is that we would run ahead of what John's saying and that we would take our own simple ideas and that we would cram a big concept down into a simple idea and lose something. Right? So if John wanted us to know, to, to be thinking about Jesus right now, he could have easily started by saying, in the beginning there was Jesus. Right? And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. But he doesn't say that. And so if we run ahead, if we cram that, that word into John 1, in verse 1, we're saying something that John didn't say and presumably John didn't want to say. So as we do this study, we're going to try not to do the telephone game where we take our own ideas and we take what we heard and we filter them through our own ideas and then we change the message. It's really hard to do, um, especially because we're so far removed from the, the original audience that John was writing to. There's a, a common statement that is made about the Bible uh, when we talk about studying it and understanding it, and that's that the, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And so God, of course, intended for us to have the Bible and to learn from it and to, to hear his self-revelation in it, uh, but it wasn't written to us as if we were the original audience. So it isn't written in uh, 21st century English. And it isn't written with illustrations from Hollywood and from the Beatles and things like that, right? Um, it, it's written to a, a first century audience, in this case, John, uh, and it's written in a language they would understand with, with 
topics and pictures and analogies that, that would have come very natural to them that can be foreign to us. So we're going to talk about one of those here uh, next. We have this phrase, the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, we're told. The logos was with God. And we ask that question, what does it mean with God? And is there anything there that we wouldn't perhaps notice if we were just looking at it that perhaps John's audience would have noticed? And in fact, there is something there that uh, six months ago, um, I did not recognize that was there. And now, after doing a bit more reading and research, I think there's a pretty good uh, claim to be made here. And again, I, I apologize. We're going to have to go back through some Greek here for a second uh, because the, the connection shows up pretty clearly in the Greek, but not so much in English. And I'll explain why. So, this phrase, with God, in the Greek is prostantheon. It means somewhat, it means towards God. Uh, the word pros is a, a preposition that is not the most commonly used one to describe being with someone. Normally in Greek, in this time, if you wanted to say someone was with, you would use the preposition para, uh, would be with. Um, and instead, John uses this phrase, or this word, pros, which has the sense of to or towards. It, it, it has almost this feeling of direction with it. And you say, well, why is that important that it says that the logos, or the, that the word was towards God, was proston theon? Isn't our English translation good enough with the word with? And to answer that question, we're going to have to go back into our Jewish mindset, hopefully, and, and we're going to have to remember, where do we start? In the beginning, just like in the Old Testament. So our attention has gone back to the Old Testament. In the beginning was the word. Okay. In the beginning was the word. And the word was prostantheon. And the question was, is there anything else in the Old Testament that was prostantheon? And what that phrase indicated, and it does show up in the Old Testament quite a bit, it shows up in the uh, what is called the Septuagint. Now, in the times of Jesus, people didn't speak uh, Hebrew anymore. They spoke Greek, and most of them used for their Bible, if they, if they read it, um, if they had a copy of it, they used the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay, so when your New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, uh, they typically, those quotations, you, you may have noticed this, they don't always seem to, to line up perfectly well with your, old, with your Bible, with your Old Testament. And that's because your Old Testament... In, in your English Bible today, was most likely translated from the Hebrew text uh, called the Masoretic text. And the Jews, they didn't have that in Jesus' day, or they didn't use that most commonly. They used the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. And so their quotes uh, line up more closely with the Septuagint, the Greek translation, 
than the Hebrew Old Testament that was used to translate our Old Testament. Now this is uh, and this brings up a whole other can of worms and a lot of other information that maybe we'll talk about someday. But the point being, in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament that the Jews used, this phrase, prostantheon, it shows up a lot. Uh, not like all over the place, but it shows up quite frequently. And it shows up when people are appealing to God or they're approaching God or they're praying to God or they're lifting up their hands towards God. And it also uh, is used to describe a person, all right? And I'm going to, we're going to see this a little bit more as we continue in chapter one, um, but in the Septuagint, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 18, in verse 19, uh, Moses' father-in-law Jethro is giving him some advice, and he says to Moses, listen to me, I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring their disputes to God. And if you were to read that Septuagint in Greek, you would read him saying, you be the prostantheon. He's saying, you be the one who is towards God for them. You be the prostantheon for them. And you raise up their words and their disputes, but he says, you raise up their logos, their, actually it's plural there, um, you, you raise up their logos, again, prostantheon, you raise up their matters to God. And, and Jethro was saying, Moses, you can't handle everybody's debate, so you have them bring the hard ones to you, and you be the one who takes those matters to God, and God will give you wisdom to adjudicate these properly. Right, And so Moses represented the people's problems to God. That was his job. And he was called the prostantheon in that verse. Uh, in a few other places, there is this mention of Moses being the prostantheon, the one who is towards God. And if that sounds uh, familiar to you, uh, perhaps it is because of this. In Exodus 32, uh, Moses says to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. You can guess what that is, right? I will go up to the Lord is I will go up prostantheon, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so when they sin, Moses says, I'll go up to God for you. And if that's sounding a little bit like the work of Christ, right? Like we have sinned and Christ intercedes on our behalf. He is the one who goes to the Father for us. Then I think that would be a valid connection for you to make. And I think what John's point here is saying is he's saying that in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was that which was prostantheon. It was towards God or pertaining to God for us. Uh, and the word was God, we'll get to in a second. And then if you'll notice in verse 2, he comes back to that again, and he says, he was in the beginning with God. It's the same phrase, he was in the beginning, prostantheon. So, we're starting to see, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that the word is described in a phrase that was used to describe Moses. 
And, and this will become very important as we study the book of John because Moses is going to come up again and again and again. And in particular, he's going to come up very soon in John chapter 1. I don't want to get too far ahead, um, but what you have in... Um, I'll just skip ahead. Who cares, right? <laughs> so, uh, when... Uh, in it, later on in John chapter one, when Jesus starts following his or calling his disciples, he finds Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and uh, Andrew comes after him. And Andrew goes to Simon Peter and he says um, that uh, let's see, sorry, it's not Andrew. Um, it is Philip in in John one. Uh, 45, Philip is called, he goes to Nathanael, and he says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? And so, Philip says, we found the guy that Moses wrote about in the law. And who is the one Moses wrote about in the law? Well, in Acts chapter 3, uh, we find uh, that when Peter is preaching about Jesus, Peter cites uh, Peter cites Moses uh, speaking in uh, what is it uh, Deuteronomy? I believe it's Deuteronomy eighteen. Um, but Moses says in in Acts three twenty two, we read Moses said, "The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers." You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So Moses prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like him from his brothers. Yeah, this was in Deuteronomy 18. And, uh, and Philip says, we found the guy that Moses told us about. And, the, and, and what Moses prophesied was a prophet like him that God would send, who would speak God's very words, and they would have to treat him basically is one speaking the very words of God. And so already, uh, if this theme of Moses is showing up in John 1, uh, then verse 1 has this, this sort of hint, if you will, this indication of it being Moses. But I don't think we're done yet there. Okay, so then we have this question of like, okay, well now it says that the word was God. Uh, what does that mean? Now, there are many theories on how to understand this. People have been arguing about this for a long time, uh, but here is a general consensus, is that this is not a mathematical equals sign, right? So, in math, if you say, well, A is equal to B, then, of course, B is also equal to A. But the way this is written in, in Greek, doesn't it's not an equal sign. It doesn't let you do that. So, another example of this in the Bible would be in 1 John 4, 8. It says, God is love. That does not mean that love is God, right? God is love does not mean the same thing as love is God. And so, uh, typically then, people will, will uh, interpret this in a Trinitarian sense to say that Jesus is God, um, but he is not God the Father, he is God the Son, 
but I will, I will tell you, I'll warn you that not all Christians interpret that verse to mean in a Trinitarian sense. Okay, the, the Greek uh, grammar is, is fairly nuanced. There's a lot of things that it, it almost certainly can't mean, but there are a few possibilities of ways that you might uh, understand the word, uh, the phrase that the word was God. Um, and one of those ways of understanding it would be to understand it in terms of agency. So let me explain what I mean by that. So in Exodus uh, 7, 1, uh, you have God sending Moses to Pharaoh. And uh, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, I'm quoting from the New American Standard Bible uh, for a reason, because the New American Standard uh, does a pretty good job of trying to keep as many word-for-word -word direct translations as possible. And wherever they have to add a word in for clarity, they put it in italics. So if you have a New American Standard Bible and, and you read a word and it's in italics, it doesn't mean, oh, it's super important. What it means is that the, that, that word itself isn't in the original language, but the translators thought that they had to ins, in, insert that word in order to make it more clear or to keep you from misunderstanding something. Okay, and so if you look at... At Exodus 7.1, what the Lord says to Moses, he says, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh. Uh, in, the, in the original language, it says, See, I make you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Right? Now, <laughs> the, the Bible is not saying that Moses was the fourth member of the Trinity. He's not saying that Moses was literally God, but he said when 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 Moses spoke to God, he would absolutely speak with all the authority of God, and that uh, the the way Moses uh, Pharaoh treated Moses would be uh, interpreted as the way Pharaoh was treating God, and uh, Aaron would be Moses's prophet, if you will. Aaron would be the one who would say things nice and smoothly that Moses didn't feel he could say. And so uh, Moses has this role of being God to Pharaoh. And in fact, um, if you look at when uh, earlier on in Exodus, um, when, when God and, and, and Moses are talking about Moses being sent and Moses saying like, hey, I can't do this. Uh, God essentially says, uh, it's in Exodus 4, he says, I'm going to make you God to Aaron and Aaron will be your mouthpiece. Um, and so, uh, again, God is not saying like, hey, you know, congratulations, Moses, you got an upgrade, now you're God. Uh, but he's saying you are the representative, you are the agent of God. And so it is conceivably possible that this, this verse in John chapter 1 is, is an ascription or a, uh, it's, it's, calling Jesus God's supreme agent, if you will, the one who represents God with such um, authority and force that when he speaks, it's as if God was speaking himself, right? So this would be an interpretation that a uh, biblical Unitarian um, would would take to explain this verse. Uh, but I don't think you even have to be a biblical Unitarian uh, to, 
to think that this might be the best way to understand it. Um, because uh, if, if John was trying to make a sort of a Trinitarian argument here, um, then probably, you know, if, if it were you and I trying to explain the Trinity, like, we would certainly include the Holy Spirit, wouldn't we? Um, and John doesn't do that. He's not talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. Uh, he's referring us back to the Old Testament in the beginning. He's talking about the Word and about creation. And he says the Word was prostantheon. The Word uh, was towards God, and the Word was God. And so you could take this as a as an idea that, that there is some being or some uh, something, if you will, that is not only representing people to God, but also is representing God to people. He is the one who is uh, the supreme representative of God. So I bring this up because our goal here is not to put words <laughs> into God's mouth. Uh, in There's a fairly stern warning, actually, in Proverbs 30. Um, it says, Every word of God proves true. If God says something, it is reliable. It is true. And so God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. If you trust the Lord, uh, you don't have to worry because he always comes through. But then there's this warning. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You see, it is possible to take God's words and then add meaning to them that was never intended, and you, you essentially you're putting words into God's mouth. And if you do that, uh, the, this writer of the Proverbs says that you are you are going to be proved to be a liar. It will be found out. It's going to all fall apart. And, and I bring this up because I know I've, I've, I I was a pastor for for ten years, and I've I've preached a lot, and I've said, well, the Bible means this, and the Bible means that, and and this verse means this, and that verse means that, and I guarantee that somewhere along the line, um, and probably a few that I'm aware of, uh, somewhere along the line, like I've said, the Bible you know the Bible teaches this and this part, and later on I've come come back to it and gone like, I don't think the Bible actually says that. I don't believe it means that. And I'm going like, oh, that's really bad. Because essentially, um, I put words into God's mouth when I interpreted the Bible to say something that it never meant to say. And so I think there's a, a warning to us to be cautious. Uh, this, this, these, this message that John is communicating in some way could, could be vague or confusing uh, to us. And if we very dogmatically say, like, this is what it is, period, full stop, no ifs, ands, buts, or questions, like, we risk being that one who's who's adding to God's words and will be proved a liar and will be found out about it. And so, um, so there's a caution there, right? Uh, in John 1, there are distinctions between the word was and the word became. Both of these statements have to do with what some, you know, someone or something is, okay? Uh, and John is going to say that uh, the word became flesh, which means uh, prior to some point, uh, the word wasn't flesh, but it became flesh. And, and in chapter 1, he uses a lot of the was and the became. And you'll notice what we've seen in verse 1 and 2 is that the word was. 
in the beginning was the Word. So John doesn't say, in the beginning became the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And so um, I would say that at the very minimum, when we recognize this, that these two words are going to show up in, in John 1, that we notice that the Word is referred to in pre-existent terms. Okay. Now, whether you think that maybe the the somewhat Unitarian um, idea of, of this pointing at Moses is true, or whether you think that the Trinitarian case that no, this is this is evidence to prove that Jesus was uh, God in the flesh. Uh, regardless of which one you conclude here, uh, what we understand is that this this explanation of the word is is an incredibly high picture of what that word is, right? The word was prostantheon. The word was with God. The word uh, entered towards God. Uh, when the Israelites were at Sinai and Moses went up on the mountain, they were terrified. The mountain was trembling and they said, they said, you know, don't, we can't talk to God. You go up there and talk for him and uh, you bring his word to us and we'll listen to you because we'll be destroyed if we go up with God. And in fact, God warns Moses, he says, tell the Israelites that, that they shouldn't come up prostantheon. They shouldn't come up to God to look at me because then they'll be destroyed. And so, uh, to be with God is 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 a unspeakably high statement, uh, especially to the Jews. I wouldn't even pronounce God's name, right? And so, uh, this is an incredibly high language. and And to say that that the word was God, whether it's in Trinitarian terms or not, is to say that whatever is represented by the word, whatever uh, speaks as the word, has all of the authority of God himself, right? And so whether you're, you, you're trying to figure out how the Trinity fits together or not, uh, the point is the word is with God and is God in some, in some capacity, Right, so um, we're gonna we're gonna sort of pause there. We're gonna remember once again uh, that this points back to the Old Testament, right? That John wants us to know uh, that in the beginning points back to the Old Testament, and that the the role that we have of logos is towards God, and I think this should get us thinking already at this point that the logos maybe has this sort of representative or intercessory role that we who couldn't be with God um, have gained something by the one who in the beginning, already in the beginning, was with God and has always been with God, right? So um, I hope you've seen here in, um, I hope you've seen in this look into verse 1 and 2 something new. I hope you've recognized that um, what, what John wants us to understand, this is what I believe, I believe John wants us to look back and to, to get that first reminder of the book of Moses, which starts with the phrase, in, in the beginning, and I think he wants us to understand that, to, to remember Moses, because Moses was the first one really defined as being prostantheon for other people towards God or to God, right? And that uh, just as Moses represented God in a small scale here on earth uh, when he was bringing the law, uh, the, the logos, the logos is God in some 
bigger sense. And so it's a very high view of the Logos. We haven't got much into what the Logos did. The Logos was pre-existent. It was in the beginning, right? And our attention has been drawn back to the Old Testament. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to keep our eyes there in the Old Testament as we continue uh, to look into John chapter 1. And John, of, of course, is going to bring our attention back there if we're right. And we're going to see that. Um, through the rest of chapter one. So uh, there you have it. Introduction uh, to the book of John with this big question. Uh, what does it mean that the word was with God and the word was God? Um, well, it means uh, very big things. And we're going to have some fun discovering what those are in the whole rest of the gospel. Uh, we're just getting started. That is a good place to be.